0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We're continuing on this series, taking a look at spiritual gifts. It begins really in verse number 1. Uh, verses number 6, 7, and 8 give us the actual gifts. There are seven of them. But in order to properly use the gifts, to understand the gifts, we have to go back and lay down a good foundation. So if you have your Bibles there, go back to verse number one. And in verse number one, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. The basic principle of course is for us to use the gifts, we must submit ourselves unto the Lord. If you are saved and you've trusted Christ as your savior, you've confessed, your sins, and you confess that you are a sinner, and you acknowledge the wages of sin is death, and you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, you can be saved. Having done that, and then being baptized and added into a local New Testament church then we have the opportunity to understand that every single member has a different place within the body. Uh, God uses the comparison of your physical body as comparing that with the church. So your physical body has different parts, different members that are used in different ways at different times for different things. Every member within the church is used by the Lord, the church being his body, in different times, in different ways, in different uh, opportunities. And so the first uh, principle for us to be able to understand how these gifts can be used is that, of course, we must first submit ourselves unto the Lord. Verse number two says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God then we must consider submitting ourselves unto the Lord and uh, not only submitting ourselves unto the Lord, but also not being conformed to the world. It's a, it's a common uh, everyday occurrence that the world is trying to mold us into their own image. And uh, we, we can't help but uh, live in this world and the world is trying to conform you into its own image, and it will use all sorts of different things. It will permeate society and culture with its music, with its ways, with its thinking, with its philosophy, and uh, you have friends, and you have neighbors, and you have family, and then you have people watching TV shows, and the music that they listen to, and the movies they go watch, and and uh, just seeing what people do on social media, and just kind of seeing what everybody else is doing. It kind of tempts everybody to just kind of go with the flow. That's what everybody else is doing. That's, that's kind of what we get used to doing and what we get used to seeing. And so we just kind of go with that. And the world successfully molds many into its own image. But God commands us, don't be conformed to the image of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The goal, of course, of the word, the goal of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not that we would be like the world. We are saved out of the world, but that we would be more like Christ. And so being more like Christ, then God can use us in the ministry, God can use us to reach others so that they might be saved, so that they will not have to go to hell, but that they can go to heaven and and we can uh, encourage others. And so we've seen these seven gifts that are here. We read through some of them. Uh, A few weeks ago, we took a look at two of the gifts, preaching or prophecy as it's used here and teaching. So there's these two gifts. First of the gifts, prophecy. Prophecy is simply a declaration The idea, of course, is simply that somebody would be able to help uh, particularly new believers, but all believers, just to be in the right place. And uh, sometimes a young believer doesn't even know, what should I be doing? Where should I go? What should I believe? Where should I stand in my faith? And you need somebody to be able to declare the word to say, no, 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 no. This is what we need to do. This is how we're going to do it. As a parent of three little kids, that's constantly what I'm doing. I'm constantly telling them, no, 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 don't go over there. That's dangerous. If you go out into the street, if you go over here, no, you got to stay close enough to me so I can see you. You know, I'm declaring to them what they should do do, when they should do it. And sometimes they don't even know why I'm telling them, but they know, oh, my, my dad is telling me to do this. So I guess that's what I should do. And so that's part of the church, one of the gifts that are there in the church to help believers. And uh, you see this, not just with parents, you also see this uh, with like coaches and uh, when you see professional sports athletes, of course, they know the basics. They know all of the fundamentals. They know how to dribble a basketball. They know how to pass. They know how to catch the ball. They know how to shoot the ball. They know how to do all of these things, of course. But sometimes a coach just simply has to remind them, get back on defense, you know, and, and to let them know, oh, yeah, all right, let's go. And, and uh, sometimes you need that. So there's a the gift of prophecy that helps the believers in the church to understand all right, this is what we should do, and here is this gift that was given to this member to help us to kind of get to where we need to be. The second gift was the gift of teaching. The gift of prophecy is great and wonderful, uh, but teaching is also great and wonderful and needful because sometimes we know what to do, but we don't know why. We know that that's what Brother Richard said when he was preaching, but I don't know why. Why? I saw this thing in the Bible, and I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know why. And that's often where teaching comes into play. Teaching helps to really root believers to know, this is where I should be, and now I know why I should be here. This is what I should do, and I know why I should do it. And so you need both of these things. And so teaching often helps to kind of root believers down so that they are strong and stable, uh, whereas preachers often, in terms of uh, the prophecy gift, is to build up and to edify. So you have these two gifts. Today we're going to take a look at two more gifts. The first gift is the gift of ministry, and the second gift is the gift of ruling. Just like with prophecy and teaching kind of being complementary, uh, uh, really directly complementary, I think we'll see that the gifts of ministry and ruling are complementary so we're going to take a look at these two gifts the first of which i've labeled the gift of lending hands or the gift of ministry the word ministry simply means service it means to serve so when you think about serving and you think about ministry that's the same word it's the same idea the same principle and before we get too far into this i think it's a great time for us to just make mention of the seven gifts being prophecy and teaching, and leading, or ruling, giving, exhortation, mercy, and ministry, these seven gifts, though every believer has a gift, that does not excuse us from doing all of these things. Even though your gift, for instance, might be ministry, that does not mean that my gift is not mercy, so I don't need to give mercy to people. Or, you know what? Uh, My gift is not giving, so I don't need to give. Well, every one of us should give. Every one of us should give mercy. Every one should be in prophecy in some way. We all can teach somebody else. We can all serve in ministry. And so the idea, of course, is not that uh, I only do the thing that I'm gifted in. The idea, of course, is that we do all of these things, but some in particular have the gift of ministry. So every one of us should be in ministry. Everyone should seek to serve in a place, but not everyone has that gift. So I just wanted to take a look at a couple of verses that kind of describe to us what is ministry, what is the mentality, and how does the gift really kind of, how is it really seen in the church? So first of all, we see in, uh, if you have, uh, I think the verse is up here, Luke chapter 8, verse number 3, The Bible there says, and Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him, him being Jesus, of their substance. So here are a group of women that are ministering, they are serving Jesus with their substance. So as you know, Jesus during this time was traveling around with his disciples. He would go preach he would go teach he would go heal he had many disciples that were following him and of course the idea was that he had financial needs in order to continue to support the ministry of course he would have his own basic personal financial needs he would need to eat and you know all of those sorts of things and then uh, there were different things in the the ministry that would be needed and so these women saw the need and they ministered or they served to him of their substance. They gave financially to Jesus and to the disciples and in order to help them in the ministry. Uh, In the Bible, we know that Judas was, we might consider him to be uh, the bank account, if you will. He was the one that held the bag. He was the one that uh, held the money. And uh, so he was responsible for overseeing that. So obviously there would be needs where, you know, uh, they would use the the funds in order to help in the ministry in different ways. And Judas was overseeing that. And uh, the idea of ministry is to supply the needs of somebody else that's what ministry is ministry is to take care of the needs of somebody else in order to help them now ministry is not doing their job for them that's not ministry ministry is helping them in their role in their aspect of ministry in supporting them in some way and uh, so ministry is supplying the needs of somebody else Sometimes it is financial, but most often within the church, it uh, has to do with the ideas of helping somebody as they're teaching a class. It's uh, helping the church by uh, uh, greeting somebody when they come into into the church services. There are many different ways in which somebody might help somebody else, help in the ministry to help a believer to grow and to serve and to be faithful. And the minister is often the one that helps them to get to that place. The second part that I want to take a look at ministry is the preparation of the minister. The basic sense of the word minister here carries the idea of waiting at tables, right? We've all been to a restaurant. When you go to a restaurant... You have a waiter or waitress, somebody who comes and, uh, you know, they do what waiters do. They bring you the menu. They ask you if you want anything to drink. uh, They take your order. They bring out your food. Uh, Oh, I need a refill on my drink. Oh, I dropped uh, my spoon. I just need something else. I want to order another thing. I need dessert, whatever. All of the different sorts of things. You have the waiter that will come and to help you with that thing that you don't have. And uh, we've all been to wait uh, uh, restaurants, I'm sure, where after a little while we're looking around wondering, have you seen our waiter? It's been, been a little while, right? You know, he came in and gave us our menus, but I, I haven't seen him for a little while. And you know, you're thinking, oh, maybe he was just a little busy, you know, maybe he'll come by soon, and then soon after a little longer, you're thinking, Where where is this guy? And so you see another waiter, and they're like, Hey, uh, have you seen our waiter? Uh, we're ready to order. He's like, oh okay, I'll get you, I'll get you your you know, your waiter, and then you're sitting there and waiting, you know, we've been in situations like that where we're kind of wondering, where is this waiter? And uh, I understand he's got other tables, but you know, we're kind of, we're ready, we're ready to order, we're looking for our food, we're, we're ready to pay our bill and we're ready to go and we're, we're waiting for him. And uh, you know, we, I'm sure that we've all been in situations like that. I once had a situation where I went to a restaurant, uh, where they did something that I've never been to any other restaurant that was like this where um, I think my brother was graduating from college or something and he wanted to take our family out to a fancy restaurant for dinner and uh, so we went to this place and uh, you sit down and you know they give you you know just like all of the other uh, restaurants that you've been to but this one was different because as we were there sitting at the table the five of us my family uh, off to the side, one of the waiters stood there the whole time looking. And at first I was like, is he going to go? Is he waiting for us? You know, I've never been in a restaurant like this before. I'm wondering, like, is he overhearing our conversation? This is, you know, I felt a little strange if I'm being honest, but I realized he was waiting on us. Waiting meaning he's ready, looking for an opportunity, any opportunity to help uh, in the middle of the meal, I got up to go to the bathroom and I just put my, you know, you have your napkin on your lap. I put my napkin down and I went over to the, to the restroom. I came back and, uh, the waiter had taken the napkin and refolded it and put it on the table by the time I came back. I was like, well, this is a different kind of restaurant. I've never, this, I've never seen this before. This is a little strange to me. I appreciate it. Uh, but that was his job. His job was, Anytime one of these customers needs something, I'm ready. Anytime somebody says, hey, I need a little bit, you know, I need a more drink, I I need another napkin. Uh, Hey, I'd like to order another thing or whatever. We could simply look over at him and he was there, ready and waiting and available looking at us, uh, uh, just so ready for whatever it is that we need. And that is the idea of ministry. In particular, the gift of ministry. I'm sure that we've all come into the same church auditorium. If you've been coming here for a while, you've come into the same auditorium and seen the same things that everybody else, we all see the same thing that everybody else sees, but some people, for whatever reason, see something that needs to be done, and uh, they want to serve in some way, that other people just don't see it, and uh, they're coming here to the church in order to serve, they're looking for opportunities to help. And and there is something about the heart of a servant, about the gift of ministry that is, you know what, I'm here, I'm looking for somebody to serve. And I'm grateful for everyone where we're able to ask, hey, can you help and things like that. But some people, they really seem to have that gift where they're coming in and they're looking to serve somebody and they see an opportunity to help somebody else. And they see an opportunity to serve in a a different ministry and, and to just be an encouragement to somebody else. They see those things that other people don't see. In Acts chapter number six, we see one of these uh, times when uh, ministry was implemented in the church. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. So in the early church, the church was growing rapidly. There were a number of widows that were in the church and some that were there, we might call them natives, were being taken care of by others in their community. Whereas there were others that had moved into the area, but they were not being taken care of like these other widows. And so the church was kind of looking at this situation like, hey, this doesn't seem right, this doesn't seem fair. And so the apostle said, all right, you look out, select seven men in order to help in this ministry. And uh, praise the Lord, they were able to take care of that and things went well from there. But the heart of ministry is to not wait until it becomes a problem, but to address it before it gets there, right? We've all been at a restaurant where you have your glass, you're drinking your water or soda or whatever it is that you're drinking and you all the way down to the bottom and you're hoping to see the waiter because you're thirsty or you want more coffee or something like that. The goal of the waiter, of course, is to refill that before it gets there. And that's a part of the gift of ministry is to supply the need before it is really fully needed. And so you have this idea of availability in the gift of ministry and anticipation. That's what ministry is. Ministry is being available and anticipating in order to see the need before it gets there. Sometimes it's a financial thing. Sometimes it's a physical service thing. Sometimes it's, Hey, I can see that there's another class that is needed here. We got to start another class. I want to help start this class. Uh, you know, maybe I won't teach a class or maybe I will teach a class, but I see this need and I want to help in this area or Hey, there's a brother over here. And uh, I really just want to help him in the ministry that he's in. And I just want to go with him. Or there's somebody who really needs some help and uh, they love to go soul winning. You know what? I want, to go help and encourage him and and go alongside of him and sometimes you have some people who are like that and so you have this gift of ministry this idea of being a waiter at the table of the church and of the lord ready standing there available and anticipating any needs that might arise in their lives and in the church a great example for us to consider is of course the lord jesus christ in Mark chapter number 10, the Bible says, but Jesus called them to him and saith to them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. He says, you know the of the world is, you know that you've made it when you get to tell everybody else what to do. When you get to be the boss, you get to make the decision, you get to order around other people, that's how you know that you made it. When you get to call the shots and everybody else has to kind of fall in line, that's how you know that you have made it. But Jesus says in verse 43, but so shall it not be among you. He says, for you disciples of Jesus Christ, that's not how we do it. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. He says, that's the way of the world. The world is, hey, I'm the man here. I'm the boss. I'm the top dog. You listen to me. You do what I say. You serve me. And Jesus says, that's not how you're going to do it. The greatest will be minister. The chiefest will be the servant. Why? Verse number 45. For even the son of man... Who is the son of man? Jesus. This is a title or a name that he used for himself. For even Jesus, God himself, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the heart of ministry. The heart of ministry is the heart of God. God did not come to boss people around. God came to serve and to minister. See, that's what God does. Now, there are a lot of commands in the Bible, are they not? Of course there are, we know that. But the heart of God is a servant. That's the God that we have. He is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is higher than the highest, but the heart of God is one of ministry. The heart of God is I want to serve. The heart of God is I want to help. The heart of God is I see the needs in other people and I want to help them. Not that he sees others as a way to help him. Jesus saw himself as a way to meet the needs of others. That's the gift of ministry. The gift of ministry is not, how can other people serve me? The gift of ministry is, how can I serve others? 1 Peter chapter 4 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So, we have this gift of ministry, this heart of God, those that seem to really particularly have this gift of being able to see the need, be ready and available, and have that kind of heart coming early and staying late and, and doing whatever it is needed in order to help somebody else in the ministry, to help the church, uh, to, to, to be able to be a blessing. So, that's the gift of ministry. Now, on the other side of that, or at least in our minds might be on the other side of that, is the gift of. Of leading helpers, the gift of ruling. So, this word for ruling most literally simply means to stand in front or to stand before. Obviously, the idea being one of leadership or guidance. So, we're gonna take a look at the gift of ruling because ruling and ministry seem to be on the opposite sides of each other, right? You would expect the ruler to tell the servant what to do, right? That kind of seems to make sense in our minds of what is this thing of ruling and ministry. So let's get into ruling. How can God have the heart of ministry but then also have the gift of ruling? Well, let's take a look at it. First of all, we have to notice the love of the ruler or the love of the leader. Because usually when people think about the ruler or the leader, they often think about the person that gets to make the decision and tell everybody else what to do, right? you know, in your corporate culture, you go to work and different things like that. Of course, there's some give and take there, but for the most part, the general structure that we all understand is, if the CEO makes a decision, we all gotta follow the decision, right? You might not agree with the decision, you might think that you have a better idea, You might, but if you don't go along with it, you're not going to have a job there anymore because what is everybody supposed to do? The ruler gets to call the shots, make the decision, and we implement the decision, All right, So that's kind of the picture that I think a lot of people have. You think about dictators being rulers, emperors being rulers, kings and queens being rulers, the one in charge who makes a decision and everybody else has to just obey that decision And when you put it like that, everybody would think, well, I want to be the ruler then, right? Because I wanna be able to make the decision and I want everybody else to have to do what I decide. And so that's kind of the idea that I think a lot of people have in ruling and this gift of ruling. But I want us to read a passage from 1 Timothy. Paul the Apostle was somebody who was a missionary, and he traveled all over in order to plant churches, preach the gospel, and uh, build the churches, encourage them. And uh, one of the disciples that he met and uh, he brought along with him in the ministry was Timothy. And Timothy was a great servant of Paul. He was a servant of the Lord. He loved God and wanted to see people to be saved. He wanted to see the church to grow. And, and it really helped Paul. Paul and Timothy would often travel together. Sometimes when Paul really needed to do something, but he couldn't be in two places at once, he would send Timothy over to this other church or he would go send him over to uh, these group of believers to see how they were doing, to encourage them uh, to even uh, be a pastor of a church. And so it's, it's kind of his his protege, if you will. his uh, men, He's mentoring him. He's uh, leading him. But he's so close in his relationship that he calls him his son in the faith. So he kind of views himself as a spiritual. Of course, he's not his real father. And of course, we understand that God is our heavenly father. But he kind of viewed himself as a father, kind of helping and nurturing and raising a son. And so that was his, his mentality. He pours out his life into Timothy and he writes letters. He gives instructions. And and uh, we have two of these letters that, of course, were inspired by God. They're here in the Bible, First and 2 Timothy. In the book of 1 Timothy, in chapter number 3, he gives this qualification for the pastors. Uh, one of Timothy's jobs was to uh, kind of set up pastors in churches. And so uh, Paul gives him, really, by the inspiration of God, the qualifications for a pastor, it says, if somebody wants to be a pastor, that's great. That's wonderful. That's an awesome thing. But he can't just be anybody. He has to have some experience. He can't be a novice. And there are some other things. And, and so there's a number of different qualifications that he goes through. But there's one in particular that is relevant to us in verse number four. He's speaking of the pastor, of somebody who wants to be a pastor, should be one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity." You want to be a pastor of a church? You have to rule your house well. Verse 5, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, if you can't rule a small group of people, How can you rule a larger group of people? If you can't rule over kids that are completely dependent upon you, how can you rule over this church of people where everybody is independent? For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he, the next two words are important, take care of the church of God? That's a key phrase there. The parallel here is that rulers or leaders are caretakers. That's what they are. That's what leaders are. Leaders are caretakers. They are ones who take care of those that are following them. Just like a father is the ruler of the house in that he is to take care of his family. He is to lead them in the right direction. He is to give them guidance. He is to provide for them. He is to comfort them when needed. He is to do all of these things. He is to take care of them. And leadership in the church is about taking care of the church. What's interesting about this phrase, this, these two words, taking care, is it appears in only one other place in the Bible. In the New Testament, it's used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, In regards to the pastor being the ruler, the ruler, the pastor, should be a caretaker. That should be a part. The other time that it was used was when Jesus was teaching and he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the Good Samaritan parable? There was a man, he left the city and going in between towns was a very dangerous endeavor. You could easily be robbed and and, uh, beaten and killed. And so it was very dangerous. So people would often travel in groups. So they would get a a group together and they would go from city to city. And that's how they would kind of ensure safety by numbers. And so you would have people traveling in large groups. For whatever reason, this man uh, went by himself evidently and was robbed and half beaten, uh, beaten half to death rather, and he's there by the side of the road. And uh, the robbers take all of his stuff and they, they get out of there. And Jesus is giving this parable and along comes a Levite and he sees the man, and he just continues to go on his way. The priest comes by, he looks over, and he sees him, and I'm sure he's thinking, well, that's too bad, but what am, I, what am I supposed to do? And he goes on his way, and then Jesus says, a Samaritan man comes by. And a Samaritan man comes by, and the Bible says, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. That is the other time that this word is used. It's used for the Samaritan caring for this one that was robbed, beaten, and half dead. The other time it is used, it is for the ruler in the church. So you can obviously make the comparison understand if we will be rulers, the mentality will be one of a caretaker. The idea is that the ruler does not think about, hey, I get to call the shots. The ruler is in the position. It's not about the ruler. It's about what is best for those following him, those that are under his ruling. And so just like a father should not think of his family as you are here to serve me as the father, even though I might be the head of the household, I am here to help you. I'm here to help my kids to grow up and to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the lord to learn skills to be able to grow uh, and mature emotionally educationally academically to grow spiritually so that they might be saved at a young age and grow in the lord and be able to serve the lord at an older age and be able to uh, maybe take over a ministry teach a class serve faithfully all of these things that's that's my role as a as a father my role as a husband is in order to help and to take care of my wife so the idea of the ruler or the leader is to take care of those that are following paul encapsulates the heart of a leader i think very well in one verse first corinthians chapter number 11 verse number one says be ye followers of me even as i also am of christ so if you just read the first half of the verse the first half of the verse says what be ye followers of me. Follow me is what Paul is saying. Now, initially that might seem like, oh, he's just telling us to follow him. But the heart of Paul is not, don't follow me. What he's saying is, he's saying, okay, you should follow Jesus. That's what you should do. Now, I want to help you follow Jesus. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to tell you, follow me. And as you follow me, I'm following Jesus. And so you know what that means? That means you'll be following Jesus too. So that's the goal. The goal of the leader is, all right, what do you need? Where should you go? You should be following Jesus. The leader thinks, how can I help lead them in that way? How can I lead them? is I will follow Jesus and help them to follow me. I want them to be disciples of Christ, so I'm going to be a disciple of Christ and help disciple them so that they will be a disciple of Christ. I will be close to Christ so that they also will be close to Christ. I will grow to be more like Christ so that they will grow to be more like Christ. So that's the heart of the ruler. And let's make no bones about it. To lead takes work. There is the labor of the leader. Again, the picture that many have in their minds of the leader is the one who sits in the corner office with his, you know, leaning back in his nice leather chair, feet up on the table, and just kind of telling everybody else what to do while he takes it easy. Or the emperor who just enjoys all of the good things of the empire and makes everybody else do all of the work. But if we're going to be real and honest, the leader is the one who has to do the most work. The leader actually bears the brunt of the labor. First Thessalonians chapter five says, and we beseech you brethren to know them which labor among you and are over you. That's the word for ruling in the Lord and admonish you. So the idea is that here is a ruler that by nature of, of his position has to labor and labor much. And so we see this picture here, again, going back to the Good Samaritan, right? Luke chapter number 10. And he went to him and bound, him up, uh, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee, right? In our minds, we would think that the leader would say, you take care of him and uh, take care of that situation in that business. But what we see in the Good Samaritan is that the Good Samaritan was the one who did the labor. He was the one who went out of his way. He took his time. He uh, helped him with his wounds and poured oil and wine and, and even gave money and uh, left him at the inn and said, hey, take care of this. If I'm going to come back. And if there's any more expenses, I will repay you. So uh, there's all of this labor that is put into place. 1 Timothy chapter five, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So you see this idea of labor that is there in the church inherent with leadership because this picture of leadership indicates that you're standing at the front. Being at the front requires more work in the olympics there is a cycling event it's an indoor cycling event it's on like a big track that runs around like in an oval and uh, there's all sorts of different events there's individual events team events and one of the events is a team race there's four riders and i think the race is for four kilometers or something like that and uh first team to cross the line And so you have these, you know, you have two teams running at a time on opposite sides and they run around this course and uh, they do that and, you know, they kind of parry it down until you get gold, silver and bronze. And uh, so you have these four riders and if you ever watch the race, the way that the teams construct their strategy is that they have these four riders and of course they're all in a line. And you know that they're all in a line because of drafting right? If you're running, or if you're cycling, or if you're in a car and you're watching somebody, you know, and they're they're in a car race, uh, they'll often line up directly behind the guy in front of them because the guy in front hits all of the air resistance, right? There's all this air sitting in front. The first guy who drives into it hits all of the air and pushes it all out of the way. The guy behind him doesn't have to hit any of those things right so he is actually able to take it a little bit easier it's easier being the second rider rather than the first so what happens is you have these four riders the one at the front is doing all the work and the three behind them are obviously still cycling but it's a little easier for them now over the course of the entire race if you only have one guy at the front doing all of the, all of the you know, hard work of leading, he's gonna get too tired and it's gonna slow the whole team down. So what you have is you have these four riders, if you have the lead rider over here, they cycle around and every once in a while, what will happen is this lead rider will slide off to the side and the other three will keep going. And he'll slide off to the side and he'll come back in line in the back. Now you would think if you have four and you simply take this guy out and you put him at the back, well, that's gonna, you're farther behind, right? But what it does is it allows the leadership to always be fresh. So they'll rotate this leadership around from the front to the back, and then the front to the back again and again, in order to keep the leadership fresh, because it's more work leading at the front. Being at the front, then, requires us to always be leading with diligence. That's what the verse says. He that ruleth with diligence. You know why you need diligence as a leader? Because to lead, you have to be in front. Being in front means you have to go first. You have to be fast. You have to be quick. You have to be leading. And being at the front then requires more work. It requires diligence. It requires haste. And uh, Proverbs chapter 22, I think is a great picture. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And this big, long train. And uh, the one that is at the front, the engine does most of the labor, helping to guide those behind him to get on the right track, to stay on the right track, and get to their destination because what is the engine doing? The engine's only job is to get the rest of the train to where it needs to go, right? The goal of the engine is not to accumulate as many cargo cars behind him as possible. That's not the goal of the leader. The goal of the leader is to get the train to its destination and it has to labor in order to get there. So what's the picture here? The picture here, of course, is that the leaders, as they look at those that are following, they see them with a heart of love, they see where they need to go, and they labor in leading to help them to get there. Does that make sense? Does that that help us to understand what is a leader? A leader or a ruler in the church sees There's a believer that needs to grow in witnessing. I'm going to lead them in witnessing. I'm gonna help them. I'm gonna go out witnessing. I'm going to take him with me. I'm going to encourage him. I'm going to teach him. I'm going to learn some things and be able to pass on that information to him. Here is somebody that needs to grow in Bible doctrine. I'm going to help him in that way. Here is somebody that needs to grow in forgiveness. They're really bitter about some situation. I'm going to help them and I'm going to explain to them, hey, this is something that I went to, uh, through and uh, this is something that I face and here is what I did and I want to help you to get over this because you need to get over this thing. And uh, I, I'm not a, you know, discounting uh, the, the wrong that was done, but if Jesus could forgive us, then you could forgive that person and to be able to help them and to lead them in that regard. And so the picture is that the leader stands out in front, is the first one to step out, the first one to give it a shot, the first one so that others can follow so that everybody else can see, ah, here's somebody that's going in the direction that we should go. Let's follow after him. Because just in general uh i feel like a lot of people we're happy to do something we just don't want to be the first one to do it right we want somebody else to give it a shot first you you try it first you see how it goes first and then we'll then we'll come after you Uh, somebody has to lead that that's the role of the ruler that's the role of the leader the leader says all right i'm gonna go out there we all know this is what we need to do i'm gonna go do it and you guys follow after me that's the heart of the ruler the heart of the leader And so that's these opposite ends. What you have is you have a minister who serves and you have a ruler who leads. Thirdly, it brings us to another gift, which is not really one of the spiritual gifts, but the gift of the loving hearts. So what's interesting about these two gifts is both of them are in their area of spiritual gifts because of love and care. The servant ministers because he loves the brother and sisters in the church oh here's somebody who really needs some help i really want to help them here's a need in the ministry i really want to do something i'm going to serve in that area here's here's something that's being neglected in the church i'm going to fill in because nobody else is really able to do that i really want to help and serve in that area you have somebody who really loves the people of the church and that's why he serves on the opposite end you have the ruler he also loves and he leads because he loves he sees somebody who just needs somebody to step out in front and guide the way, set the example, be the first one out there and say, hey, follow me. We all know that this is what Jesus told us to do. We all know that this is where we should go. So let's, let's get out there and let's go. And so that's what the leader does. So on both of these ends, what you have is one who leads because he cares for those he, he is leading. And on the other hand, hand, you have people who serve because he loves those that he is serving. And you need both of them. You need both the leader and the servant here in the church. As these gifts are being manifested, you see that the church is able to grow. You see that the church might be able to do some new things. You see that the church has individuals that are are growing individually and maybe doing something they've never done before because somebody led them. Somebody helped them. And having these gifts in the church will help us to grow as a church.